You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I made the trip down to Provo, Utah last weekend for the chance to be able to see Chet Holmgren play in person. So on this episode of the Lockdown NBA Draft, I will give you my thoughts on seeing him in person, my takeaways from that experience. Plus, it's just been a while since I talked Chet, so I will give my update on where he lands for me currently on my personal board. Looking forward to the 2022 NBA Draft. You are locked on the NBA Draft. It is a Wednesday morning. We've got the NBA trade deadline action in full swing. We've got great college basketball games. In fact, last night, one of my favorite prospect matchups from at least the last few weeks when uh, Walker Kessler from Auburn played against uh, against Jalen Williams from Arkansas. Two of my favorite centers. Those were the two guys I actually talked about on my episode last week. But thank you for joining me again today. Uh, what I'm going to do on today's podcast is the first two segments, maybe segment and a half, I'm going to talk about Chet. It's been a while since I talked about him. And like I said in the headline here... I had a chance to go down to Provo, Utah, make a little trip because I wanted to see Chet Holmgren play in person. It was the first time I've seen him play this year, and he had just a ridiculous game. I'll give some stats, some thoughts from that game. And then in the second segment, I will give kind of an update on where he is on my board and some overarching thoughts on him and the top of this class. And then in the final segment... There was a massive bombshell of a trade yesterday that went down. Tyrese Halliburton was, in fact, included in that trade. I'm sure you've all seen it. I don't need to break down the details. For DeMontis Sabonis, yes, I know this is an NBA draft podcast. I covered and talked a lot about Halliburton when he was coming into the draft, and he is just one of my favorite players to watch. So I just want to give my few cents on that transaction that frankly that bombshell that happened yesterday it's not that often that i'm completely stunned by a trade and that is what happened yesterday in fact my wife thought somebody had died or i had gotten fired from my job or something but without further ado we do have a a title sponsor on today's episode it is again prize picks do not hesitate check out prizepicks.com and use promo code nba or go to your app store and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Before we get into the Chet Holmgren discussion, you can follow me on Twitter at DraftDummies. Uh, I give my thoughts, give my give some stats that I look up for these shows. Always happy to talk basketball and reply to people that message me. And of course, a lot of clips as I'm watching games live, live and film. But uh, most of all, thank you for tuning in today, for making this hopefully your first listen day today. And hopefully that is the case on most days. We've got two other great hosts that also do this show the other days of the week. But 
we're here to talk basketball, aren't we? You don't want to hear me talk about myself this whole time. So let's get into what I saw from Chet. It was just a dominant performance from him against BYU in a destruction of a performance. BYU's been struggling lately, coming off a few losses, but they were up from th- for that game. The crowd was lively. It was rowdy. It was a raucous atmosphere. It was on you know, ESPN won the late night primetime game and Chet came in and dominated. In fact, he was, I think I tweeted this out after the game, a ridiculous plus 41 in 27 minutes, you know, in a game versus like another top 60 team, you just don't see a plus 41 that often in college basketball. Uh, especially just obviously because games are shorter than the NBA. It's just that is rare to see, especially a rivalry game against BYU, who uh, if you follow the WCC, you know BYU has generally beaten Gonzaga once a year going back over the last five, six years. Uh, But what I saw from Chet was a dominant player. Um, There's a couple different items I want to hit on. First, though, is... Just the shooting touch, I got to see him warm up and see him play throughout the game. You know, you don't want to take too much away from warm-ups because everyone shoots well in warm-ups, but you do just get the sense watching him in warm-ups that, like, he's a legitimate shooter. Uh, The form looks really good. He's taking, like, in warm-ups, he was taking, like, pull-ups coming off of uh, pin-down screens, kind of like free-throw line extended. And even shooting those, it kind of just looked like KD. Like, there is that aspect of his game that he hasn't been able to showcase completely. You know, partly partly because of the lack of strength and just the lack of space on the floor in a college basketball game. But there is the upside there for a little bit more hand, a little bit more shot creation that we have seen from him at the high school level. But... Last episode I did on Chet, which was a few months ago now, I had Chip Jones on my show. We discussed the strengths and weaknesses and what we'd seen from him. And back then, I think he was in the low 30s shooting from three. And now he is up to like 46.1%. So over 46% from three this year. It goes to show just how fickle and how variable shooting samples are especially on a small sample especially from three so you don't want to read too much into that but that is certainly an arrow up in the positive direction one of the main worries with him that we had talked about is just how good of a spot up shooter is he going to be and that has come along the percentages are very good so far and so that's a little bit less of a worry for me again more of the issue with him was just how many he could get up how quickly his release could get sped up because he it is a bit of a slower release at this point. And I think that is something that he can improve. And right now it's in a good spot, especially for a guy his size with his physical tools. The one other note on the jump shot that he has done so well is shooting the trailer three. I think I've talked about before just his percentage. He shoots just a ridiculous percentage on trailer threes where it's like either in transition or semi-transition, just trailing the play, shoots like over 50% on those shots, I think. And so that is going to be a valuable tool in the NBA, the ability to shoot not just like set shots from the corner, but trailing the play above the break. That is something that's going to translate to the NBA. Another reason for that, because 
you know, he's got to get back on defense. He's got to protect the rim. So if you miss from above the break, uh, there's a lot less risk of a fast break the other way. And he's kind of already back there defensively. So just from a strategy point of view, another reason why that's important. But also there's just more transition opportunities in the NBA. So he's going to get more of those looks in semi-transition. Um, but the number one thing that stood out, and this always stands out watching Chet, is just his ability to patrol the paint. You talk about levels of shot blocker. There's shot blockers, there's rim protectors, but then there's rim deterrence where guys are afraid to even take shots. They'll just kind of dribble through the paint, come out the other side, not even look at the rim. And so being at the game, you get a different feel for that because obviously BYU is getting kind of destroyed by Gonzaga, right? But after a certain point, because Gon the BYU players weren't, really learning from this they were continuing to test chet in the paint and he kept blocking shots like byu fans you could just sense like the fans would start groaning when guys would dribble into the lane and try to shoot on chet they just they knew what was coming they knew that he would affect the shot if not block it and the stats on that last night were pretty crazy or going back to saturday night now this is what I call the Chet Holmgren effect is his ability to control the paint on both sides. And this, um, this spread over the course of one game is just so crazy. It's something you rarely see, but with him on the floor versus BYU in that one game, Gonzaga shot 74.1% at the rim. But with Chet off the floor, or excuse me, let me finish that. With Chet on the floor, Gonzaga shot 74.1% at the rim. And BYU shot 21.7%, which is just insanely low. So while Chet was on the court, Gonzaga outshot BYU in the paint by 52.4%. Yes, that is not a typo. But with Chet off the floor, Gonzaga shot 40% at the rim and BYU shot 50%. So with him out, BYU actually outshot Gonzaga in the paint by 10%. So yes, comparing those numbers, him on versus off the floor, a 62.4% net swing in terms of shooting percentages with Chet on versus off the floor. That is what I call the Chet effect. He just controls the paint. He is like basically Rudy Gobert on defense and just finishes at a ridiculous clip on the offensive side of the paint. And that right there is probably the best statistic to summarize why Chet Holmgren, he is one of the five best players, and you could make an argument he is the best player in college basketball right now. I've got a couple more thoughts on him, including some more pretty staggering stats coming up after this. All right, NBA fans, are you looking for a daily fantasy option for the NBA? Then you need to try the award-winning app, Prize Picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. I love this app, and we believe you will too. It's easy to use. You just pick between two and five players and an over-under the, on their predict projections, and you can win 10 times on any entry. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, so it's quick and pretty easy and offers safe and fast withdrawals which to me is always very important use this award-winning app on both the app store and google play 
Price Picks also does not offer just NBA. They have options on college sports, NFL, MLB, soccer, and even MMA. So for a limited time, Price Picks has this exclusive no-brainer of an offer for all our users. Get $50 free if a player in your first Price Picks entry scores a single point but you must use code NBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer to our Locked On fans. That is you guys. Sign up today and use code NBA $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. Thank you for making this show your first listen today. Hopefully that's the case every day. The NBA trade deadline is also coming up tomorrow now. February 10th at 3 p.m. And the Locked On NBA podcast will be covering it live right as the deadline approaches on that day. On Thursday, join Kim Becker, John Corrales, and Locked On fantasy basketball host Josh Lloyd to get analysis of all the moves going on. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live. All right, let's get back to the quick finish up here on the Chet Holmgren discussion. Talked about how the shootings improved, how that looked good, his domination in the paint on both ends. Just to add another stat to his domination in the paint, on this season, he is still shooting 90% at the rim. I mean, regardless of who you are, what position you play, how tall you are, nobody shoots 90% at the rim because... Even when you exclude dunks, he's still shooting like 85% in close. And so that that is awesome. He's got good touch. And to take that to the next level, only 48% of those rim attempts are assisted. So that's actually pretty rare for a big guy where a little bit over those a little bit over half of those attempts are him creating and getting to the rim by himself. So that is a very good indicator. Just revisiting the top line metrics with him, 15.5 BPM for Chet is easily the best in the nation for a freshman. And in fact, he's at 15.5, a huge gap down to number two, which is Jabari Smith. Those are the top two guys on my board. And like I always say, BPM is a just catch-all measure. It doesn't It's not perfect, but it is a very good indicator and just a very good metric to use looking at these guys moving forward. It's proven to be that in the past. Makes sense that those are the top two guys, but not only among freshmen, Chet also has the number one mark in all of college basketball. And to show you how good that metric is, number two is Walker Kessler, another dominant player that we talked about last week. Um, But I wanna talk about one underrated potential reason that I think I've come to prefer both he and Jabari Smith over Paulo Boncaro is just the portability with those guys or the scalability, whatever word, whatever term you want to use for that. Now, I often talk about how, and everyone talks about this, you don't want to draft, especially in the lottery for need, because Teams and rosters in the NBA turn over way quicker than you realize, and you just need to draft the guy you think generally is the best player because that is just tried and true, tested to be kind of generally the best strategy to use. So I'm not saying to draft for fit here. What I'm saying is when I use scalability, portability, 
I'm not talking about fit in a specific situation. I'm saying these guys fit best in the most situations or they're the easiest to build around. And that's important no matter how good these guys turn out to be because if they do turn out to be the best player, then it's easier to fit role players around them as compared to a guy like Paulo Boncaro. Uh, again, mostly because of the defense and the shooting. Um, but if these guys don't quite hit their ceiling, they don't turn out to be the superstar or they don't really return the value of a top three pick. If they're portable players that are scalable, then those guys are easier still to fit into a lineup, still to use. Whereas if they don't really hit their top end outcomes or even hit below an average outcome for them, and they're just not as scalable of players, then it becomes more difficult to fit those guys in. And all of a sudden they're drafted over in a few years. And there's just not as many <clears throat> like spots to, to fit those guys in because Frankly, in the NBA, you fit your teams around the star players, not around kind of the role players on your team. And so if they don't turn out to be a star, it's just harder for a guy like Paulo, in my opinion, to become a good role player. Whereas also on the other end of the spectrum, like I said, if they are stars, then all of a sudden they're easier to fit around as well. So I just think any way you look at that, scalability, portability can be a bit underrated. and there's been good examples in the past. There's always good examples, but comparing again, Chet to Evan Mobley, it's an easy comparison, but you know, I did kind of make the mistake of thinking like, yeah, he's a five. He might not be as scalable. And I tended to devalue fives in the past. Well, the thing with Chet and Evan Mobley is they're not really fives. Like they can play the four or the five, especially Mobley. He's so good guarding on the perimeter that, in fact, they're kind of the opposite because it's hard to find scalable, portable, versatile bigs, and those guys are that. So that really opens up your team construction options and flexibility moving forward, having guys like that. So I think that is one difference to me between that I think is a big positive for both Jabari Smith and for Chet Holmgren, and it's a little bit of a knock on Paulo Boncaro, and that's not really the only reason, but that's the... That's one reason why I do have Chet and Jabari 1-2. And I don't want to spoil too much, but I do actually have uh, Jaden Ivey 3rd. And I've moved Paulo down to 4th. I don't have time to get into that now, but just wanted to give a quick update on my board. I'm sure I'll have time to talk about that in the future. And so that's why I have um, those two guys. And I do have Jaden Ivey in that same tier in the top with... Uh, with Chet and with Jabari Smith. And again, I've talked about this before, but Jabari Smith is one year younger than Chet. And so that difference is actually pretty important to me. And so that's the reason because Chet Holmgren is the better player right now. He's the more effective player. And a little bit of some of my concerns have been eased, have been assuaged by seeing how effective Mobley is because it's not a one-for-one one comparison, but their profiles statistically and physically are pretty similar. Now, I would say Chet Holmgren's a better shooter, has a little bit more ball handling, maybe at this point, but Mobley guards a little bit better on the perimeter, and I think Chet is a slightly better shot blocker. But 
the overall player archetype is similar and I just misread that a little bit. I wasn't down on Mobley, but I just didn't quite appreciate his upside or his instant impact. And I think that is going to be similar to the case that we're going to see with Chet Holmgren. And so I do have those guys, Jabari Smith, Chet, one, two, Jaden Ivey, third, and Paulo, I have fourth. I actually have him in a separate tier below those three, probably only like a half tier at this point in his own tier as the fourth ranked guy below a bevy of guys uh, below him. So those are kind of the things I wanted to share on Chet. It was an awesome performance. I loved seeing him in person. He's been arguably the best player in college basketball, and I'm excited to see how the season finishes up for him. Hopefully he can make a run with Gonzaga, and I'm sure I'll revisit Chet again and kind of solidify my position on him before the draft. But I want to get into a final segment here and just give my few cents on the Halliburton for Sabonis swap that uh, that broke yesterday. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. You hear me talk about it all the time. I don't love most protein bars, but I love the taste. With Built Bar, they've got so many different flavors and 100% covered in chocolate. So this is the time of year that most of us have given up on almost all of New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution because I have built bars and that is how I tell myself that I am eating healthy. So if you do want to improve your health, you do want to improve and make some goals and healthy choices, built bars taste good, but they're also very healthy. So it's something that I would recommend. Low calorie, high protein, replace those candy bars with these built bars. They are they honestly taste as good to me and they're more healthy. So go to built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You're blown, you, you will be blown away. You can see, you know, uh, what these are made up of, including the high protein, low calorie, high fiber, low carb, and go ahead and compare those to a candy bar. If you want to be honest with yourself, but go to built.com use promo code lock 15 and get 15% off your order. Again, promo code lock 15 for 50 50- 15% off at built.com. All righty, let us finish up. I'm going to hit on a few points or takeaways, just thoughts that came to my mind regarding the Halliburton for Sabonis swap. Just going to come out and say it. I think Indiana certainly won the trade, but I want to get into some specific thoughts here. The first one is if I were the Kings, I would have preferred giving up De'Aaron Fox, but I just think he honestly, honestly, I believe they probably did try to do that, but I think Fox has lost just a bit of value with the way he's paid lately and the contract he's on is what kind of differentiates the value between he and Halliburton. I prefer, again, getting back to that same uh, scalability with Halliburton and he's proven he's taken the keys over the last month and he's been awesome. I've always been higher on him, was higher on him in the draft as well. Like I said, one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA, and the crazy thing about him is he just keeps getting better at such an impressive rate. He's become, I think I've tweeted this out, he's like second in the league in terms of pull-up efficiency, jumpers off the bounce, and that's something a few years ago he couldn't even do at all. But one thing is for sure is that he is a high-field player, that will shoot over 40% basically 
from three every season. So you know what you're going to get. There's already a high floor with him, but I think some people do still undervalue that ceiling because of the awkward shot, because of his skinny frame. But when you look at his improvement trajectory that he's been on, I mean, he's going to make, I do think he makes multiple all-stars. And so I do think they probably tried to trade Fox first. I certainly would have, but I'm guessing they couldn't get as much for him. But that point on how good Halliburton will be, that kind of leads me into my next point, which is I do think Sabonis is getting a bit underrated at this point. He has already made two all-star games. I do think some people on Twitter just tend to like undervalue him because it's like kind of the cool thing to do almost where, you know, I, I was thinking to myself earlier when the trade happened, what would I set the over under on in terms of all-star appearances in Halliburton's career? The conclusion I came to was like 2.5, which as the over under again for all-star appearances for Halley, that might actually be high for some people. I don't know, maybe if you're very optimistic, it might be higher than that, but 2.5. So I'm thinking like between, between two and three all-star games is kind of like the average outcome for him, which which is really good. But then you think Sabonis has already made two all-star games and I'm really excited to see what Sabonis can do in Sacramento. I do think two guys that I really like in Halliburton and Sabonis are being traded, traded from bad situation to another bad situation. Uh, just not great teams and the fit wasn't necessarily great before and I'm not sure how great it is now. But hopefully it is a better like experience in a better situation for both of them. But yeah, I'm just excited to see Sabonis because we've only really seen him in Indiana uh, alongside another big. So let's hope he plays the five in Sacramento. Uh, my next point is, I think the the biggest issue in giving up Halliburton is that not only is he a really good promising player, like I talked about, but he really did seem to be committed to being a part of resurrecting. Well, the Kings haven't really been that great ever, except for that run in the early 2000s. So maybe not resurrect, but pick up that franchise off the mat and make them something. Because Sacramento, everyone knows, has been a laughing stock of the NBA. He really wanted to be there and turned around. He's talked about it. He has the personality. He has... Um, he has the drive, he has the makeup to turn that around. And he's talked about it as recently as the last few weeks. And I think he could have really helped turn that program, that organization around. And so that part was hard for me to see. And also just the fact that most guys, when they have the chance to leave Sacramento, tend to probably do it. And honestly, I, I don't really blame them for that. But the Kings also had control on a on a rookie contract for Halliburton for the next few years. And he seemed like the guy that would have been happy to come back and really be that guy that turns the franchise around. So then trading him, that is another reason why it just made like no sense and why I was so shocked. Certainly did. I mean, if you would have asked, he would have been the last guy on that roster I thought was traded. So pretty shocking to me. And it just seemed to be a kick to the nuts of a lot of Kings fans. Uh, I follow a lot of Kings fans on Twitter, a lot of smart, a lot of good, nice people on that app that are Kings fans. And so I, I felt sorry for them seeing the reaction. And Halliburton was a guy that 
a lot of them bought his jersey. A lot of them thought he was the face of the franchise. And it just sucks because if you're a Kings fan and you're bad, well, at least you have a fun guy to cheer for, to wear his jersey, to be your favorite player, and then to trade him away really sucks. So I, I'm sorry, Kings fans, I feel for you there. The final thought here for me is that the play-in game seems to really be having a, a, a large effect. We're feeling its tentacles on everything. And, you know, my thought today was, you know, would either of these trades have happened if not for the allure of the play-in game? Because I think the Kings are seven games back from the eight seed. So in prior seasons before last year, they would have been basically eliminated from playoff contention. And the Pelicans are also like a few games back there, both kind of fringe play-in contenders. Though I think the Pels are in 10th now. They've been playing well lately over the last month or so. So slightly and more understandable there, but it's just easier to pitch to your owner that, yeah, we're, we're going for the playoffs. Like there's a chance. It just gives some of these teams that allure and just trying to make the play-in game for longer. And so that seems to have had some major effects on not only on teams trying for longer, but now these major transactions where swapping major assets to try for the short term to get into this play-in game. And then that gets me to my final thought here where a lot of, well, smart teams should try to zig when these teams are zagging. And especially if you have a young team and you need to get another core piece to your franchise to add into that core, like the Raptors did last year, like even if you get into the playoffs and win two play-in games, you're going to get killed in the first round. What's really the point of that, right? So zig when they're zagging, you can tank right by these teams that are now trying to win games and get yourself a really good pick that frankly, otherwise you probably wouldn't have been able to. So I'm interested to see how this tanking race goes down the stretch because these teams are still trying to win and some smart organization, again, like the Raptors last year, should try and tank right by these teams. That's something I would advocate for doing, especially if you're still young, still on, um, still on kind of the uphill climb with your team and early on in the process. Go ahead, skip out on either a early, either a play and loss or a first round sweep, and go ahead and give yourself some better lottery odds. So, uh, I think that is going to be interesting to follow. So, those were kind of my thoughts, my takeaways. Again, the Pacers did win the trade, in my opinion, and I'm excited to see that core because I was a big Isaiah Jackson guy, Halliburton, Chris Duarte. We'll see what else they fit around them, and I think now they are. We'll see. Are they going to tank too? Where do these teams end up in terms of at the end of the day in the lottery? So some things to keep an eye on and should be a lot of fun over the next two days as the trade deadline wraps up. But thank you so much for tuning in. Again, you can follow me at Draft Dummies on Twitter. I'm going to get some guests lined up over the next few episodes. That should be some fun topics. Before we close today, I just want to, again, thank you guys for listening. Go ahead and also listen to the Locked on Bets podcast if you're any type of gambler. They are your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs, Locked on Bets. Hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thank you.